Hey there, welcome to The Shift Spot. Today's leadership and management topic is proaction, leadership planning, how to plan without over planning. I'm Jesse Fry. I'm a certified business and executive coach and client experience strategist. Ken and I are here today and we're going to talk about an important part of leadership, which is proaction. So Ken, hey, welcome, welcome back. I enjoyed our conversation last week and I really look forward to this topic too. Likewise, thanks, Jesse. Great. So. We're going to talk about essentially four things today as part of uh, proaction. We're going to talk about the importance of proaction in your workforce. So regardless of how big or how small your organization is, building an organization of proaction is really important to the long-term success of that organization. The second part that we're going to talk about is the traits of a proactive leader. This is really important. And Ken, I've, I'm really excited to talk about this particular part because I know with you having worked with leaders from across the gamut, um, you've probably seen a lot of these traits, but you've also probably seen quite a few uh, leaders missing these. The other two that we're going to talk about is over planning versus under planning, this dichotomy of like overdoing, overdoing it versus not doing any planning whatsoever. And I really look forward to that too, because with your background, obviously you don't focus um, 100% on EOS, but you've worked a lot with organizations that are using EOS. So I like to do a little comparing and contrasting uh, whenever it comes to planning, because the EOS is one of the many methodologies out there. Uh, they're scaling up, there's traction, there's a lot of different tools, um, but they all have some planning components of them. So I'd like really look forward to talking about that. And then the last area is how do you cultivate a culture of proaction. I think it's really important that we, you know, we talk about what it takes as a leader to become proactive, but there's also this part of how do you build it into your team. So let's just jump right in. So the question is, what is, and I'm hyphenating, proaction, right? So being proactive essentially means anticipating potential issues and really taking steps to prevent them from happening rather than simply reacting. So Ken, I'm gonna ask you this question. Are you a proactive or reactive leader? Uh, proactive for sure. So tell me a little bit about that. Tell what makes you a proactive leader? You, you know, I mean, some people honestly don't have it. And I try to articulate it as, and I'm not the first person to say this, but it's kind of like playing chess versus playing checkers, right? And preemptively trying to see problems and understand things before they even take place. And you know, you, you can tell me better than I. I, I don't know if that is you're born that way or if that can be coached or if it's a little bit of both, but I believe it's, you know, it's seeing things before they happen, right? So that that's my idea. And then taking, uh, that's my thought and then taking action in advance. I think, so you asked the question and I wanna answer that. I think there's two elements of that, right? I think people are, naturally born with intuition, right? So there's the intuitive leader yeah. and we're born with intuition. Um, we're maybe gifted that by how our parents raise us and the environments that we're born in. So, you know, a child that is born into an environment where their parents does everything for them, right? May not have those innate intuitive skills, but whereas somebody that is born into an environment where their parents allow them to just learn as they go, then they get, they build that muscle of intuition. And I think proaction really is a combination of intuition, but also the ability to anticipate, 
right? So um, I'm a big soccer fan, right? I, I think you probably know um, I'm a big Charlotte FC fan. They played Atlanta this past weekend and Atlanta destroyed them, by the way. <laughs> but um, a, a, a football or a soccer player, football meaning international football, there's always this belief that some players have the ability to see the game to have vision of the field no matter where they're at and they kind of know where the next play is right Lionel Messi one of the best players to ever you know grace the field he has amazing vision and ability to anticipate and prevent problems before they happen his positioning on the field is really important to his leadership abilities on the field because he knows where he needs to be for the next play. So he passes the ball to the right wing. He's a central midfielder. He knows exactly where to move next so that when the ball gets to that other guy's feet, he knows that he's in a good place to basically receive the ball so he can then put the ball in the back of the net. Yep. I believe proactive leaders are no different than a football player, right? It's the ability to have intuition, anticipate the next play, and prevent problems from occurring before they happen. So that's my perspective. Yep, I agree with you. Yep. Great. So um, what I want to really jump into next is uh, the traits of a proactive leader. So Ken, before I present my list of what the uh, proactive leader traits are, from at least my perspective in my research, what do you feel are some important traits as a proactive leader? I mean, the obvious answer, I mean, obviously is not reactive, but proactive, right? So yep. you know, I know that sounds silly, but there are some, some leaders that just sit back and they wait for a report to come in or they wait for somebody to come tell them about a problem where a proactive leader, both intuitively and, uh, you know, or is acting with data and insights to, to see that in advance. So boy, I don't know if I can drill this question, Jesse, or uh, I know that you have a pre, I, do, I know you had the luxury of uh, thinking this out ahead of time, but I think that's it, right? And, you know, the, the, the reactive leaders uh, I'll call just typically are managers that can never really elevate more than maybe a two to three person team and get higher within the organization. And uh, they're constantly struggling with, you know, why am I not tapped on the shoulder for this next promotion? I mean, quite honestly, I think being a proactive leader and uh, seeing the future, seeing advance, planning in advance and preemptive is one of the key skill sets that, that really uh, makes those individuals stand out. So, yeah, absolutely. And and I know you have a history of uh, the EOS world and being an integrator. And then there's the other position in the organization as the visionary. Yep. And oftentimes people think that the visionary is the most proactive leader, but I actually feel that the integrator, the chief operations officer has to actually be more proactive, like more proactive yep. than the visionary. The visionary can think really far, like 30,000 feet and you know a thousand miles away. Whereas the integrator has to be able to see currently what's in front of them, but also anticipate what would come next and how to mitigate risks. So from my perspective, I believe that a proactive leader is constantly thinking ahead and anticipating potential issues. And then it's by understanding and anticipating the issues, it allows them to take steps to prevent those issues from actually arising in their organizations. Yeah, yeah. So and, and actually, real world example even, um, you know, a client of mine, I, I 
work with there, we have a lot of leaders that unfortunately are not proactive, right? And they'll just, you know, case in point, they, they got to change some classifications across their employees, which is going to disrupt about 36% of the entire employee base, which means they're going from salary to hourly. So not only do they have to track their time, but they get paid overtime and it's a management hassle and it's going to be disruptive. Well, the, uh, the, the, the head of finance and HR is just like, oh, I'll just send out an email on this, right? And uh, thinking through this in advance, that could be catastrophic, right? Yeah. How do we get people, the, the leaders on board? How do we train them? How do we help them understand the pros and the cons of this? Why this is good for them, their people in the business, and ease into that and, and you know, and, and create, a, you know, a plan proactively, right, to walk them down that path, because it is something that we have to do for legal exposure purposes, right? Yeah. That's that's one instance that I, I'm, I, I constantly find myself stepping in and trying to prevent those those giant bombs from going off that some people honestly don't see. Yeah, I, you know, and, and I'll, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of throw another one in your lap here in a minute that you didn't prepare for. Yeah. But um, when I think about our current current climate that we currently have in the economy where we're seeing companies laying off people left and right, right? Like I just saw that, um, and I can't remember the company, I think it was Facebook, right? Meta. So Meta just laid off like another thousand people or something like 250 people. Um, and every single day on LinkedIn, I'm seeing more and more companies laying people off. So Obviously, there's a balance, right? There's this balance of being able to make decisions when you need to make decisions, but there's also this proactive leader that sees the long-term vision, but has the ability to see things quicker than others. So question for you. Sure. Um, of all these companies we're seeing layoffs, do you feel that there is a lack of proaction and, and proactive leadership skills in the people running these businesses, or are there certain situations that kind of, it doesn't matter how proactive you are, there are certain situations that kind of over, that they can't overcome? Yeah, that's, that's a difficult question to answer. And um, look, there's a lot of good people leading these, those companies. There's a lot of bad people too, let's face it. Yeah. Right. And um, I can't pretend that I have all the data and the information. Um, but well, I will tell you is, it sounds like a silly answer, but some people are too quick to react because they're not thinking it through and they're not going about pro being proactive the correct way, right? They're, they're really focused on the short term and that could lead to some of these layoffs, right? Yeah. There's other leaders, like I've heard of Musk and I don't know recently and in other situations where he sees an event coming up, but he's like, look, if I lay off 2000 people, what does that give me? That might save me tens of millions of dollars of payroll, right? But we're gonna be through this in nine to 12 months. And then I gotta go rehire all these folks and I gotta ramp them up. And then I've lost three years worth of time, Yeah. right? So he's the ultimate when it comes in my opinion, right? Uh, being a visionary, being proactive and really seeing you know, completely through the forest and understanding his entire surroundings, right? Such as your football example. Yeah. So he's very good at that. So I can't answer that for Facebook and others. I will say there's a lot of leaders out there like, ooh, times are tough, fire people, right? Right. And, and you know, that's sometimes, times can be tough and sometimes we've got to, we've got to understand also once we get through those tough times, 
what are the negative consequences to making those quick rash decisions as well, right? right. So it's, it's a balancing act. I know, I know I'm not answering your question directly, and uh, but it's really hard for me to do unless I work for Meta and some of those other organizations. Yeah, and, and it wasn't really, I didn't expect you to necessarily have the answers to that. Uh, it was just more of your opinion on it. Um, and I agree with you. I, I watch Elon Musk a lot. And, it, and it's kind of amazing. And yes, he's made some questionable decisions at times, but what well, leaders we all haven't, do, right? <laughs> yeah, what, what leaders haven't. Yeah. And I, I think that when we think about a proactive leader, they're always looking for ways to improve. They're always looking for what processes and systems can we change? What procedures need to be updated? How do we operate at peak efficiency? And I think in times like this, we are seeing you know, uh, a company like Medal use it again. I've got nothing against Meta, but uh, when you have Meta, and I, it was literally the only one that I saw this morning that had more layoffs. Yeah. Um, so that's why it was top of mind for me. But when we think about those situations, there's a lot of pressure from shareholders. Yeah. So I think there is a lot of characteristics and and things that are they have to take in consideration in a privately held company when it's your money, right? You get to make those decisions. Um, when you're a publicly traded company, uh, there's a lot of different pressures that come down. So it makes proaction a little bit more challenging. And oftentimes then rather than being in, uh, being in, in, in an active state of management, you become in part of a crisis state yeah. of management. So I think it's really hard, but I want to switch over and actually, you know, don't want to, interrupt you. Yeah, I was just thinking of this. I, I think also, another critical aspect of a, a, a good proactive leader is you have to be able to decide, right? And, and, and I know that sounds silly, but I, I was taught literally decades ago that really great leaders are able to take in lots of data, lots of information, and make a decision based upon 80% of the facts, right? And then just go, right? But, but also realize like, man, I'm going, this is a bad decision, got to change course and win the change course, right? right? I think a lot of reactive leaders, they not only don't have that, that foresight and understand that the entire landscape or the field, uh, as you had laid out, but they also want too much, they, some of them want too much information. They're waiting till the time is right. Yeah. And by the time, when the time is right, the recession has hit you know, whatever's hit, something's hit them and then they're reactive and they're, yeah. they're, they're playing catch up. Right. Yeah. So that, that, that's something I would add to it as well. Yeah. You know, I, when you were talking about that, I, you know, I was thinking of like to myself, am I a proactive leader or reactive leader? And I think mine goes back to my days in the U S coast guard very early on at the age of 19, I was sitting in a, you know, communication center in Newburyport, Massachusetts, listening to radios uh, of in, in, at 2 a.m. in the morning, listening for fishing boats tailing Mayday, right? So if I had to get all the information and I had to like figure it out by the time I make the decision to like push that red button that sends the siren and picking up the phone and calling Boston, you know, Boston to get a helicopter up. Yeah. That fishing boat's on the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. Right. So- it's important to be able to make quick decisions with, you know, knowing what the balance of information is and saying, what is enough? 
what is good enough in this situation and weighing the risk versus the reward. And when you're a young 19 year old kid and they throw you into the fire of managing search and rescue missions, you don't really have a choice. Right. Um, and a lot of leaders don't necessarily have those exact skills. Um, but it's something I think to go back to what you said earlier, is it something they're born with? I think not necessarily. I think you can you can develop those skills and it's like going to the gym and working out. You're not going to have nice gigantic biceps, right? If you're just pushing weights once a week, you've got to like build the pro action and continue to grow. So I'm going to switch over to what the actual traits are. Now, there are many traits. Uh, these were the eight that I, uh, you know, thought through and went through some research before I put them on these slides. But uh, number one, think long term, right? Uh, leaders, proactive leaders think long term. They don't think of just the moment and what happens if I make a decision now. They look at, to your point about what you're saying, Elon Musk, if Elon Musk was a reactive leader, when times get tough, and he lays off a thousand people in his factories in China and the United States, then all of a sudden the economy gets better in six months. It's going to take them six to 12 months to hire a whole workforce back to get the assembly line working again, which means that their cash, they won't be able to sell as many, you know, they won't be able to sell as many cars 12 months from now, which then puts the overall financial position of the company at risk, right? So, I think to your point is great example of this one is they think long-term, right? They don't just think about what, if I make a decision now, it happens and it changes now, but what happens in six, 12, 24 months from now? Yeah. And by the way, just to add to Musk, I mean, I think most people know this, but his long-term vision is to get to Mars, right? Right. Batteries and cars to get to Mars. He truly believes that he's saving humanity, Right. So nothing really gets in the way of saving humanity if you have that belief. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, selling cars and making money and, and putting rockets into space and putting payloads ultimately helps build to the to the bigger goal. Right. right. And that's staying goal focused, which is important. And, and in order to be goal focused, you need to be long term thinking. Right. You, you can't be this short term kind of person. The next one, number two, is be open to ideas, right? And so this is a general leadership trait, but certainly uh, the greatest leaders out there and proactive leaders are ones that are willing to be open to new ideas, to listen to their team, to say, maybe the idea I have doesn't work. Um, and, and I think we're seeing that, you know, again, I'll stick with the Elon Musk theme, uh, with the truck, the cyber truck, right? They came out with the first cyber truck and they they did put it on stage. Well, everybody knows that he broke the window, even though it wasn't supposed to break. So he went back to the table and said, what I, other ideas do we have? Because it does not meet the standards that were set. And he's willing to wait. I mean, it's been years, right? It's been years since that happened. And even the, the, the low, you know, they're supposed to come out with like a $25,000 electric car. Like that's been put off years because I think that he's open to new ideas and, um, you know, maybe that's proactive, maybe it's actually over planning, right? Maybe there is a, a challenge of over planning there, but I think great leaders need to be open to new ideas. So Ken, give me an example from your perspective of when you worked with, for someone else, right? Maybe you were early in your career where you had a leader that was not open to new ideas and they were stuck to their way of thinking. Um, boy, I, I, you don't uh, have to give me the person, but 
yeah, new ideas that they were stuck with what they were doing. I mean, honestly, just I've had several, but I'm struggling to walk you through a, a good example. I can I apologize. I can think of experiences, but I, I, I'm struggling to come up. How about with one of your own? Where where was the time where you were leading a team and um, somebody brought ideas to you on how things could be done differently and you were it, it elevated you as a leader? Are there any that come to mind? Um, elevated me as a leader. I mean, I sound like a narcissist if I say no. <laughs> but once again, I can't think of a great example, but I would tell you that everybody I've ever worked with has elevated me as a leader through just experience, right? And, and, and everything. And, you know, and I've tried to grow by being open to ideas, knowing that I am never at the, the ultimate place where I'm supposed to be, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I learn upon my experiences and I believe that we get better with failure. So once again, I'm, I'm struggling to pinpoint a great example for this, right? Every, obviously, everybody can tell now that we don't role play this, right? Last week, right. I had lots of great examples, but you, uh, you've nailed me on this one. But I think, I mean, just to hit your point, right? People bring me in, you know, because of my experiences. And I've seen that same movie a thousand times. And when somebody has an employee issue, I'm like, here's what's going to happen. Don't, you know, I don't want to say I told you so, but here's what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Um, and, but I, I learn from everybody around me. So sorry, I can't give you a great. great no, I, I think it's fine. I, I think it highlights something for me as I was listening to you is the importance of surrounding yourselves by others, right? Which is the, the, the shift spot community is really driven around building a community of like-minded leaders so that they have a central place to come together and learn, right? Grow together, but also sharing ideas yeah. and helping each other thrive. And, and I've worked in other coaching communities as well, where uh, there's definitely a difference between that the business owner that understands their limitations and takes the proaction, right? They're proactive in seeking additional guidance, perspective, and learning, and the leader that doesn't. And I think the leader that actually seeks it, they don't they don't always switch, right? Because they say, I need coaching. It doesn't mean that they become like an immediate proactive leader, but at least they're taking proaction to say I need change and I know that I need a new perspective, it yep. may take a year or two to get them to a place of actually to start implementing that in their business. But at least they have the the uh, the understanding of themselves that they don't have all the answers and to be open to ideas. So I think if any trait that that a proactive leader should have, it's this one. Yeah, right? be open, be open to change, be open to perspective. Yeah, and we can all think of those individuals that have told us, and when you ask them the question, well, why are we doing it this way? Like, well, this is how we've always done it. And we always, you know, we always fail. Right. right. <laughs> all right, maybe we should be open to these new ideas. <laughs> right. So the number three is plan and prepare with a playbook, right? And I and and when I when I thought of this one, I actually thought of John uh, John Laduca, right? In in playbook playbook builder and what him and his team are building because of the the importance of building playbooks and the the importance of planning, but putting those things into action. Yeah. Um. And so, Ken, from your perspective, you've seen companies that don't have playbooks, right? 
And you've seen companies where you've then implemented playbooks so that there is this recurring uh, process and procedures. So compare and contrast for me of, a, of an organization, you don't have to give me a specific example, but just comparing and contrasting the two, a company that plans and prepares, but one that doesn't. I, I mean, chaos versus known execution and predictable results, right? So I actually, this actually makes me think of a, uh, a training that I went in, uh, went through twice and it wasn't because I failed it. Uh, it was because I went through it one time with one company and then I got elevated to a new position and brought them into another company. It was a, a training group, ironically, I lived in Colorado called Afterburner here in Georgia. And there are fighter pilots and they later on evolved to fighter pilots and Navy SEALs and they would come into companies and teach them, right? Here's how we go about our missions. Here's how we debrief afterwards, right? And we sit around a room and we're nameless, rankless and everything and, and learn and, and you know, make corrective changes and everything. And, uh, uh, you know, how we do missions going forward. As a matter of fact, I've actually got a great story. I apologize to get off track here a little no, bit. Cool. But, you know, one of my best friends in high school, uh, he was a Navy SEAL. He was a, a sniper on SEAL Team 5 uh, right after 9-11, shortly thereafter. And if you watch some of the old war movies, right, he told me this after we went to the training. He's like, oh, yeah, that's what we did. And he was actually in charge of debriefing the generals after a mission. But if you look at some of the old war movies, they would go in and go clear a room and people would spread out everywhere. I didn't ask the details on this, how this happened. So don't, don't ask me, well, how did that happen? But he said that he and his team went in to spread out and spread out and clear a room. And one of his best friends got his head blown off by a 50 cal gun in the next room. Mm. Right. So that made them change or change their approach and how they clear a room. And I don't, and I, I don't understand it fully. And sometimes when a, uh, a vet is like sharing things with you, you, you don't probe too much, right? <laughs> you try to be respectful, but from that learning experience, their playbook actually changed. And then they started to go in and at a diamond, right? So a guy on point, a guy here, a guy here, a guy on the side and, and two guys in the back. And that evidently will protect that from happening more. Don't know how, don't understand it, but they changed how they clear a room and their playbook actually changed going forward and they could drop casualties down. They could drop, you know, all sorts of stuff down. But anyways, that playbook, you know, I try to tell leaders and business owners, right? If, 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 if you look at great guys like, you know, uh, Brady and, and Manning and stuff like that, they know how to drop back in the pocket, right? But what do they do before every game? They drop back and practice planting that back foot 50 to 100 times. Yeah. It's not the first time they've done it. It's probably the one millionth for Brady. But that, that is part of their playbook. I do this. I practice this. I build muscle memory. If I do this over and over, learn it, I know the outcomes and results. So that's my soapbox answer or uh, for you on that one. No, that, I think it's great. Um, one of my favorite books is actually The Dichotomy of Leadership, and uh, it's by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. And they're yeah. both, you know, they're both Navy SEAL commanders. And, you know, they talk about that of, of planning versus overplanning, which is where the idea of, of this topic came, was being able to understand when to change your plan, when to change your playbook, but then to put it into action, right? Like you can plan all day long, but action is the most important thing, but you also need to know when to correct your, your plan because maybe your plan was wrong and they always debrief. Like in the military, you know, when we would do a search and rescue mission or we would do a drug enforcement operation in South America or wherever it was, 
we would always have a plan. We would go execute it and then we would come back and we would debrief and we would say what worked, what didn't work. Because the next time that we did a plan, a new mission, it, it might be a similar mission, right? But it's not always the same. We would say what worked, what didn't work so that we don't make the same mistakes again. Yep, agreed, 100%. And, so, and if people can do that and they're doing that, you know, because their life depends on it, <laughs> one would think if we introduce it in business, right, we, we'd have better results. Yeah. And, and I always tell people in, in business, I'm like, you know, like if, if you think that, like if you're, if you're frustrated or you're, you're, things aren't going well and you're, you're like, you know, you, you're kind of a running around with your chicken with your head cut off in your business, yeah. just imagine what it's like to actually be in the police or in the military where like literally your head could get shot off, right? Yeah. Like to that example. So uh, is anybody dying today is my mantra and nobody's dying in your law firm today or in your software company. Right. Or at least we hope not. Right. Um, number four, seek the root of the problem. This is a term I know you know better than anybody else. So Ken, why is seeking the root of the problem a proactive trait? Oh man, a amen. And I, and I love this. And whenever anyone comes to me with a solution, the, you know, one of, if not the very first the question I ask is what is the problem and what is the root problem we are trying to solve? And often they don't know, right? But trying to solve the wrong problem wastes and expends a ton of en energy and a ton of money, right? So, and I, I tell leaders that it's kind of like whack-a-mole. And I always give this exact same example when I'm trying to teach people actually how to get to the root cause. But let's, let's say, for example, we have a company that, you know, we have high turnover and we want to reduce it, right? So you know, somebody said, well, I know why we have high turnover. It's because our benefits suck. Great. So what do we do? We go spend a lot of money. We get new benefits. We roll the benefits out and no change. We still have high turnover. And somebody else is like, well, I know why we have high turnover. It's because our onboarding sucks, right? Okay. Well, let's hire somebody, build this playbook and improve our onboarding. Guess what? No change, right? And then, you know, it's like, well, I know what it is. And you continuously go down that path, spending money, wasting time. Well, you know, if you get into a process of identifying the root, and you know the six sigma approach to the five whys and get to that the root of the problem could be well it's because all of our new leaders are brand new in management and our exit interviews which we didn't really pay attention to are saying that their employees just feel like they're out on an island they're on their own with no direction maybe if the solution is we go solve that elevate our leadership team surround them so the employees don't feel that way that could reduce our employee turnover getting that to that root cause is such a and, and ignoring that is such an expensive and costly mistake if you think of just the months of you know, six months, find new benefits, uh, go execute six months, you know, do this, go execute six months, go do this and execute and never actually finding that or figuring out what that problem is and solving it. You can spend hundreds, if not millions of dollars, just flushing it down the drain and no impact. So, yeah, no, that that's a great example. I'll, I'll give you a, a, a very different one, but more towards the marketing side, right? So, a lot of people, when they implement marketing strategies, they'll go off and they'll spend a ton of money to do something. So I'll just use pay-per-click, for example. So they might do Google ads and they will spend a certain amount of money doing the Google ads. They'll go off, they'll find somebody to do the ads for them. They'll get the ads up and running. 
And then all of a sudden they'll sit there and nothing will happen, right? They won't get any leads. And then 30 days later, there's still no leads. 60 days later, still no, no leads. So then they pull the plug. They're like, we're not going to spend any more money on PPC ads. It's like, so they're like, PPC ads don't work. So they throw the baby out with the bathwater, as they say, and they never use PPC ads anymore, which could have been a good source. But the reality was, I always will say, was that truly the problem? Or what, like, where did your PPC ad go? So when people clicked, where did it actually land? Let's go there. Let's look at the language. Did you have a way to convert people? They're like, yeah, but nobody called us. It's like, and I always tell people, 95% of the people that come to your website are not ready to buy your product or service. Right, right. So you have to nurture them. And you're sending them to your website, which is confusing because you have all these products and services on your website and your advertisement was for a specific thing. Now they have to come and figure it out. I'm like, so the root of the problem was not that your ads didn't work or the agency that you hired did the ads wrong. It's because you didn't actually set the strategy correctly to actually bring them to a landing page with a video or a piece of gated content, like a guide or a checklist or something to capture them, to put them into an email nurture. You just said, I need to bring in more leads. I'm going to spend a bunch of PPC and it doesn't work. Right. Yeah. So it's really digging into the root cause of that, which is, you know, in my business, one of the things that we do is we map out that entire process. We try to understand what works, what doesn't, where are the gaps, where are the opportunities, so that you can have a clear picture of when something doesn't go right, that you know why it didn't go right, and it's easier to get to a root cause. Right. And part of that comes back to having a playbook, right? So uh, number five, relationships, not crisis management. So relationship management, not crisis management. And so many times leaders get into this crisis management and we always are handling crisis, you know, crisis mode. I see this all the time in the legal industry. They're always focused because in regulated industries like law, like accounting, um, I'm sure there's other ones that, that aren't coming to mind, but they're worried about their law license Yeah, the most, right? So when a client calls and they're pissed off, because they, they weren't communicating with them or it wasn't going as fast as they wanted, the squeaky wheel gets the, uh, you know, the oil. Yeah. And they immediately go into crisis mode for that one client. And they're always in this reactionary state because they're afraid of their law license, of, of getting a bar complaint or getting, you know, getting somebody basically filing a complaint with the bar or, or getting fined or whatever, losing their license. Um, so you really need to be focused on the relationship and not focused on the crisis, because if you can actually be proactive by establishing a great relationship with your customers, then there shouldn't be crises. And they, there will be moments where there's a crisis, but not as many if you're establishing and focusing on that relationship. Um, number six, total transparency. Um, how many times, Ken, do you see where there's just lack of transparency across the board? Yeah, I mean, a lot. And specifically, um, a lot of owners or leaders are scared to eat, share the financials, right? And I don't mean just the P&L, but where we are from a cash flow or a payroll or collections or, you know, even total revenues for the quarter or the year are nervous about that. 
And what they don't understand is that transparency actually brings people together for a cause, right? So if our revenue target is, you know, $500,000 this quarter, right, as a small business, right? If my employees know that, then they can rally behind that. Otherwise, there's no beacon to actually lean into. So I, 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 I'm a firm believer in transparency, and I get nervous when people try to actually hide things or shelter things from, from employees and staff. Yeah, I found that when, in, when business owners uh, lean away from transparency, it's because they're insecure about where their actual, their numbers are, right? And, and they need to have some more, you know, more not be as insecure about where they're at and actually get comfortable themselves. Many of them are not comfortable with their own numbers. Um, so it's having the right people on your team to make sure that, you know, whether you have a bookkeeper, an accountant, or a CFO, a fractional CFO, or a fractional uh, COO, it's having confidence in yourself so that you can be more transparent with your team. And until you get there with yourself, which is number seven, trusting yourself first, right? If you don't trust yourself first in making decisions, if you don't have that gut feeling, so going back to your friend that's a Navy SEAL, when they walk into that room, into that building in Fallujah or wherever it is in the world, and they know that there's likely somebody behind the door with a gun and they're all the people that are behind them, the point person, right? That point, they call them the, I, I forget there's a term for them, but like the point gunner. Breacher, isn't it? The breacher that walk that goes through the door. That person has to be pretty dang confident with themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you want a damn good leader, that guy, that guy's the guy you want in your business, right? Exactly. Um, because you have, to, you have to have trust that instincts. You have to trust and say, okay, we need to move on. What's, yeah. What we're doing now isn't working. And uh, so trusting yourself first is really important because if you don't trust yourself, you can't trust your team and you can't be proactive in building a culture of proaction in your organization. Well, your team's less inclined to follow you also, right? Yeah. I mean, look, you don't, you don't, we're not saying blind trust. You have to have these other things come into play, right? You know, open ideas, prepare, plan and everything. Um, but if you lack trust in yourself and your decision-making capability, then it's harder for people to follow you and believe in your vision and your cause and your purpose as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that leads us to number eight, play to the strengths of your team, yeah. right? Um, and, and we talked about this in last week's episode was really about having the right people in the right seat on the bus, right? If you don't have a clear understanding of the strengths of your team and you're not playing to the strengths of your team, you're never going to have a culture of proaction because proaction is delivered. And all these proactive leader traits also apply to how you train your team. So if you have the right people in the right seats and they have clear accountabilities and they understand that like you trust them to make decisions uh, and you're putting them in the right position and the position of strength for their role, they're always going to be proactive because they're not going to be afraid of making decisions that are wrong because they've already know they have the strength to say, I know this is the right thing to move. And they take a, a, a certain amount of calculated risk when they make those decisions. So um, Ken, I know you play a lot to accountabilities and helping people build out their accountability chart and putting the right people in the right seats. Uh, I would imagine you see this quite a bit is making sure that the, the people that you're playing to their strengths. Yep. Yep. Definitely agree with you hundred percent. 
All right, so planning dichotomy. I talked about the dichotomy of leadership and this, a lot of this stuff goes in straight into this. Uh, careful planning is essential component of all businesses. And there's a point of preparing for contingencies and maximizing opportunities for the business. But the question is, is there a place where there's over planning? Ken, what's your thoughts on over planning? I mean, yeah, you can, you can over plan. Uh, and I think honestly, it can be just as detrimental as not planning at all, because you generally will miss the mark, right? There's, there's a part in, in every market and every opportunity that, you know, where you're going to maximize results, profits, whatever you want to call it. And um, if you over plan to capture that event, right, you could miss from a timing perspective and where your competition can quickly surpass you. So there, there is a balance, right? And, um, you know, it's, that's all I got on that one, Jesse. <laughs> so the fine lining on planning really comes down to these four things. And I am guilty of some of these, right? Yeah. Um, action over planning. I try to take action quickly. Sometimes in the past, when I've taken action, sometimes the result wasn't exactly maybe the way that I wanted it to. But I would rather take action and try something than to sit there and keep planning and keep planning and keep planning for every contingency. Uh, because to your point, maybe you'll miss an opportunity in the marketplace. Right. Uh, so there is this dichotomy of understanding action over planning. Number two is over planning leads to overthinking, right? That's been one of my faults historically in the past. And I've worked towards like, you know, overthinking things like, uh, do I have the right market? Uh, do I have the right product offering? Do I have the right pricing, right? Am I going using the right strategies? Um, and then uh, the number three is over planning allows people to hide. Oh my goodness, I see this all the time with entrepreneurs. Um, and it often comes down to uh, service-based businesses where skill set and knowledge is a big part of what you're delivering. Consultants, coaches, uh, lawyers, accountants, doctors, there's this really important concept called imposter syndrome. Yeah. So people get imposter syndrome and then they overplan their business because they're actually hiding because they're afraid of actually the way the world will see them and they're afraid of, of failure. Um, and then number four is overplanning makes you inflexible. Yeah. Right? Because you get so rigid in your plan. So Ken, <clears throat> I'm going to ask you out of these four, Historically, which one would you would would uh would you basically have you know resemble the most out of these four? Um, I I would say number one, and that might surprise you some because you know for the past I don't know 10, 10 or so years I've been more in the operational seat, but my roots come out of sales, and I forget what my last number was at Oracle, and it's like fish, you know, they get bigger every year, but I think my Q4 number is like 120 million or something like that, and, you know, a bird in hand is worth two in the bush, right, and you have to hit your numbers or you get executed, right, so, um, so I, I think just understanding that I can over, you know, you can, you can over plan and, and sales and engineering miss your number and then there's no excuses right at that point. So I would say to answer your question, uh, number one for me. So historically, what I'm hearing you say is that you would over plan, which then would prevent you to take action. Is that correct? Uh, 
I was reading, reading this if, differently. I would take action versus over planning. Versus planning. Okay. So you would just jump in and make it. But I, I think that one has two sides of the dichotomy, right? There is too much planning prevents you to take action. Yeah. But then the opposite of it is too much planning or too much action means you lack the plan and then sometimes hit your mark the other way around, right? Yeah. I mean, I am definitely uh, an inquisitive person. I've had people like complain of how many questions I ask and, and all of that, right? Like uh, relationships, people that work with me, like, oh man, you ask a lot of questions, right? But um, so I'm definitely not a ready aim fire and, and my Colby is eight, seven, three, two, which means I, I need data and facts, but I do err on the side and, and try to force myself, take action. We need to plan, right? But take action before over planning and, and paralyze ourselves. Yeah, 100%. I mean, think about all the major, like most successful products in the last decade. Uh, imagine if they would have waited just a year. Oh God, right? yeah. Like yeah. you, you think about the electric car and Tesla, right? If they would have waited just a little bit longer, I don't think, honestly, I don't think the market would have changed much, right? Yeah. But uh, think about it from the opposite side. Elon Musk and and Tesla is destroying the the traditional you know model, and it's forcing everybody else to jump on the wagon. But the problem is, is everybody else is so much further behind, and their their products are so much inferior. Like I've looked at other ones, right? I've considered, you know, the the Kia electric. I've considered, but you know, we have a, a Tesla Model Three, and we love it. We yeah. love it, and we can't imagine going back to a normal car. Now we have a gas powered car as well, but we want one of each. And I can't imagine going to any other product because yeah. Tesla has created a product that is far superior. And if if anybody else waited, which they have, like Ford and these others, they're lagging behind because they waited too long. So. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, again, they plan too much and they didn't do enough action. So the next one, and, and we'll wrap up here soon because I, I know we don't have a lot of time. I didn't think we'd actually make a full hour, but <laughs> sure enough, we did. So know when you're over planning. It's really important to know when you're over planning, because if you're an over planner, you're not proactive. So, you know, you need to really know when you're not over planning. And, and one, you take a long time to start a project, even when you're prepared. Number two, you have a lot of unstarted or abandoned projects, right? Uh, I historically, that's, I'm an overthinker, over planner. So I started things and never actually finished them. Uh, that's changed. I'm, I've, my mindset's changed and now I just put in things into action. You get bogged down in the details. Lots of people get stuck here. They'll like start a presentation for the board to get funding for their business, but they focus so much on the, the details that they never actually do the presentation. Uh, and in most cases, investors will be like, hey, come back to us when you're ready, right? Yeah. Or, or that you're not gonna lose opportunity, but you will if you get bogged down in the detail. And number four, you have a hard time adjusting when things go up track. So over planning is like, if you over plan, that's where the, it becomes, you're not flexible, right? That aligns to that not flexible one. Uh, because if you over plan and then things go off track, you're like, but I didn't prepare that for that contingency. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Ken, out of these, um, what do you see the most when you're coaching people? Um, when, so I'm glad you flipped that on others and not me because I was not you, others. I'm struggling. Like which one do I fit in the most? Um, so for people that I work with, honestly, probably number four. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, I would say, you know, adjusting when they get off track. So I think most people, well, you fit in three buckets, either plan perfectly, which is hard at different events, over plan as you hit or under plan, right? But then, you know, I think a lot of newer leaders and, and owners and CEOs struggle to knowing um, when to adjust when it's off track. And that's, that's a tough one, honestly, right? So it's a, that's a skill set, in my opinion. Is that a skill set or a behavior? It's a great question. I would say it's probably a behavior, but I would like your opinion on that. Yeah, I think when it goes off track, the behavior of over planning and being stringent to the plan, uh, there's not a lot of skills you can modify to change that, that perspective. So it is definitely a behavior of understanding. And it, it almost goes back to ego a lot of times. People have these very strong egos about, well, you know, I, I remember many years ago, there was these engineers that build a software product, and then we put the product out in front of the clients for like a, a they, you know, it's called a double-sided mirror test, right? The yeah. engineers are behind, behind the mirror, and you've got people using the product, and the engineers were freaking out behind the mirror because the users weren't using the product the way that it was designed for, right? Yeah. But the users were just using it the way that they would, they would want to use it, yeah. not the way the engineers designed it to. Yeah. So it went off track and the engineers didn't like it, right? They were like, but they're not doing it right. Yeah, but if, they, if they're not using it right, it's because it's not designed right, Yeah, yeah. right? So a lot of business owners use that same mindset of like, but why didn't it go the way that I wanted it to? And then they don't know how to get back on track. So it is definitely a behavior and is often driven by ego. Very, very good point. I agree with you hundred percent. All right, last part, uh, how to stop over planning, right? Uh, the key is really having a process in place. So I'm very much a process. I don't, I, I try not to overthink. Uh, and I noticed that I have a typo in the next slide. So that's my fault. Um, before I show you didn't over plan. So I didn't over plan. I, I definitely took action uh, on this one. It is a four step process, not a five step process. Uh, there's probably a fifth pro step out there, but I didn't put it on the slide. Um, so it's step one is you really have to establish what's good enough in your planning. You need to know what's good enough and using the Pareto principle, 80-20 rule, you need to know what's good enough, uh, you know, because if you don't know what's good enough and you don't know what your desired output is, yeah. then when you get to the end, it ultimately, um, it's not gonna work out. Well, and it's funny actually, and I'm highlighting this because my, my partner, Winter, she is, she is one of those uh, atypical perfectionists, right? And um, she's done a very good job the past three, four months of adjusting that where she would work on content or something, just beat it up and be hours and hours and hours and hours. And now she's doing things. She's like, good enough is good enough. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, you know, just to add to that, I like to see that shift because yes, you're, you're, you're spot on. So. Yeah. so I think the first step in the process of proaction and planning is know what's good enough, know what your desired outcome is, but you might say, okay. Uh, the house needs to be painted exactly this way, but what is good enough? Well, if we have a couple of mistakes, that's fine. Um, but there is no such thing as perfection. Right. Uh, step two is creating a planning cadence. And you know this better than anybody can. Uh, the EOS methodology, the scaling up methodology, they all have a cadence of planning. I personally have my own cadence of planning. Uh, I have long-term goals, but I actually do weekly and daily planning. 
And that's to make sure that I'm only working on the most, the highest priority items. So I take an hour of my week on Sunday and plan my week and set intentions for what I'm going to do in the week. And then Monday or every day at, at, at you know, at eight o'clock from eight to eight 30, I go through my day and it doesn't ever take me 30 minutes, but I have it time blocked. Yeah. I actually plan my priorities and make sure that nothing's changed and shifted. Um, just having that cadence every day makes me more proactive in my day rather than reactive. And very rarely do I work on anything that's not in my plan. Yeah. And, you know, that's a that's an important uh, step, too, as well. I mean, all the steps minus the fifth one are really important. Right. So uh, uh, but a lot of companies don't do that. And, and you don't have to implement EOS or scaling up or any of those things. Right. Uh, do a quarterly business review with your staff. Have them actually go through, you know, here's here's where I've been. Here's where I'm going. And here here are the key milestones, et cetera. But I think a lot of business owners could actually evolve and grow their grow their business significantly just by having that cadence and that inspection. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think a lot of people, they don't. And whenever I actually coach on the business coaching side and I get people to do just quarterly planning, annual planning, really basic things, and then like set intention for the quarter and have weekly check-ins, right? It's, it's having a scorecard and knowing where you're, where you're at and where you're going and what you need to make changes so that you can be proactive rather than waiting to the end of the quarter to make changes. So I always say to people, if you say you're going to do $100,000 a quarter, uh, just to be simple, and you get to the end of the quarter and you're at 80, right? Uh, there's not much you can do to fix that. Right. But if you have regular check-ins and your cadence has regular check-ins and you start to see, you know what, I don't think we're going to hit 100, you can have even four weeks would be enough to maybe turn things around and get closer to your goal. Uh, so that planning cadence is probably the most important step of this four-step process. Uh, time limits is important on your planning, knowing what, you know, how frequently are we going to do something, how long, for example, like if you're trying something out for a period of time and you're launching a new product, or a new service, you need to know how long you're willing to tolerate things not working out. Right. But you need to say, you know what, we're gonna try it until this time. Uh, and, and at the end of that time period, if it doesn't work out, we're gonna stop because we're not gonna put forth any investment into it. But you also need to set time limits in your planning, which is why it's important to say, we're gonna have a two day planning session. And these are the things we need to accomplish. And at the end of that, we're done. Yeah. And, and, and our plan is our plan. We're not going to go above and beyond. And then last is to identify action. It's really important to know uh, what you're going to implement and, and take into action and know what action looks like. A lot of people have plans, but they don't know what they're going to do for the action. And in order to execute your, your plan, you have to know what you're going to take action on. Um, so that's the four-step process. I'll just repeat, good enough, planning cadence, time limits, and being able to identify action. So, Ken, that's it for today's uh, topic of proactive versus proaction. Any uh, parting thoughts? No, awesome. It was short and sweet, just like you said. We would not hit 40 <laughs> minutes. So, you know, I, I appreciate it, Jesse. That was uh, short, short and sweet. So, sometimes it's just talking about these topics. You know, people can come back and listen to them and get what they need in, in bite sized chunks. Um, but uh, certainly, I think if you're going to walk away with something, walk away with the with a lot of the kind of are, are you carrying the traits uh, of a proactive leader or are you the opposite of that uh, what mistakes are you making in your day-to-day -day and put in a system so that you can become proactive and your culture starts with you if you're a business owner yeah and, and it, 
a lot of these things you mentioned can be developed and worked on and grow, right? And if you don't, um, it's probably going to create a lot of pain for you and your organization until you know. So yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thanks so much, Ken. Uh, look forward to next week's topic. And I know you're going to ask me. And honestly, I haven't looked again. Um, I, I, I was going. I I stopped myself this time, so I wasn't going to do it to you. So, but uh, but good, yeah, good. I appreciate it. next week as well, Jesse. I appreciate it. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Ken.